The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Cy and Dan. I am Cy, and with me as always is Dan. Dan, how you doing, mate? I'm not too bad, uh, buddy. I'll apologise in advance for anybody listening to this. Uh, I've just seen off the last of a uh, last of a cold that's been plaguing me for about a week now. So if any uh, if any coughs do happen to slip through my mute button and size editing, uh, just hold on to your goals. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You were suffering the other day when when uh, I guested on UTT with our good friend Joshua as well. So yeah, you're coughing a bit yeah. then, mate, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to tag out to my dad for a while. That was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> See if that actually made the cut because this will come out much before that episode of UTT, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I expect so. You record about three years in advance, don't you? Oh, minimum. Yeah, we. I think me and yeah. Bob started this project in about 2013. Uh, okay then uh, on the doctor who pod today we are looking at a tom baker story from 1976 entitled the deadly assassin dan yeah one of my draft picks and uh, one that was highly recommended to me uh mainly for the uh for the crusty master to be quite honest that we'll get into but it's um I, I, just to sort of lay it out there quite early i uh i quite like this one it was something a bit different uh to what we've mm. So what we've seen recently was a bit more of a um, what I'd call a, a political intrigue sort of serial, which sounds boring on the surface of it, but I can assure you it's not. Well, I, I've got that same vibe, completely politically based um, and sort of conspiracy and, and all that sort of stuff. Conspiracy, that's the word. Yeah. Apart from one episode, which went a little bit mental, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it has to, doesn't it? It's classic Doctor Who. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be that if it didn't go a bit mm. like crackers in the middle bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a few things on this particular story, this particular serial from 1976 that are that, well, it's slightly different, or it's the first time of something really. Uh, I mean, we start off with a, a kind of Star Wars esque narration at the beginning of the episode with Tom yeah. Baker himself narrating the words that go up on the screen. We have no companion which was a request of Tom Baker's. He wanted to, in his mind, maybe prove he could carry the show on his own, which led to a few weird doctor talking to himself moments, which I don't think quite worked. But again, we'll get to that shortly. And this is the most we've seen so far up to this, you know, in 1976, if, if you're watching classic Who in order of the time Lords and Gallifrey and so on, this is the most we've ever been exposed to them done. Mm. Yeah, and I was going to say it's uh, it's unusual for us and, and the, what we've looked at on this uh, on this podcast. You know, we've not had a vast amount on Gallifrey, have we? If uh, as memory serves, um, mm. so it was it was nice for me. You know, obviously having not had that exposure to Classic Who, to uh, to see the uh, the origins, as it were, and you know, to look back at this and 
and see see a bit of Gallifrey and, and get an insight into the, uh, the sort of the vision for the um, uh, for the Time Lord homeworld. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, from my aspect, the not the no companion side of things was what I found quite intriguing. Having not watched this all the way through before, I've, I've sort of started it on several occasions, and then you know it's been like my bedtime viewing, and I always fall asleep because obviously I'm going to bed, <laughs> so I've never got to the end. Which is no slight on this particular story because I enjoyed it, but it's just the timing of the day I put it on. The no companion thing—it's the only time in Classic Who this happens. Mm. where there's no companion. How did that feel to you? Because obviously in New Who, we do get episodes where the Doctor doesn't have a companion as such, and he has like a, or maybe like somebody who has like a cameo episode, or I'm I'm thinking, I suppose, of the David Tennant specials. There was no set companion for a lot of those and so on. How did you think it worked? Well, how do you think it works in general? And how do you think it worked with this story here? So for this story here, I didn't even notice until you mentioned it just now. Oh, wow, okay. It, it, it didn't actually register in my head that there was no companion. Um, I was fully invested in the story, to be honest, and, and finding out what was going to happen. So it, it was not something that negatively or positively impacted it for me. Um, no companion was kind of a a non-entity, as it were. It didn't factor into my thinking at all. Um, in general, uh, as it gets sort of later on into modern Who, they make a big thing of the Doctor being alone and that's when that's when the doctor goes down sort of the dark rabbit hole of their own mind mm-hmm. you know saying quite often says don't the, the outgoing companions often say don't travel alone for too long don't leave you know or, or we'll pass the torch and say don't leave him alone i do wonder if you know when we see these these sort of bits that you refer to where the doctor in, in this is talking to himself i wonder if it was a nod to that Potentially, you know, just saying, don't leave the doctor alone for too long. I think it's the, it, it, when, uh, so when, you know, when they said, you know, the doc, when the companions, the outgoing companions or whoever referred to the doctor not being alone and, and passed the torch and said, don't leave him alone. Um, I do wonder if it's a nod to this because we see in the, uh, the Christmas special with Catherine Tate, if, um, and, and then later on in the, in the episode turn left, if Catherine Tate hadn't been there to, to drag the doctor back from the edge, so to speak, the doctor would have just continued to sort of kill the monster and sacrifice himself in the process. And then, you know, the trigger off this ultimate timeline that we see play out in, in turn left. So it, it can work. And I can't recall any, to be honest, I can't recall any instances where it was a bad thing, not having a companion, you know, it's like a one-off or, or, a, you know, as a one-off doctor only show, or even, you know, a, a one-off companion. It's when it's done right, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, with this particular story here, the only issue I've got with there being no companion is the opening, I guess, where the Doctor is in the TARDIS, the, the wooden control interior of the TARDIS, which I love, and there's no companion there. And when we have scenes like that, it's the Doctor talking to his companion that kind of allows us to hear what he's thinking or what he's planning mm. or what his his upcoming actions are going to be. For us to achieve that with this particular story, he's talking to himself. And that I found odd. If he had a companion there, he would have been saying roughly the same thing. It was almost like he was talking to a companion. There's just nobody there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, to me, the Doctor talking to themselves is it's kind of, it's just a thing that the Doctor does. Right. 
you know, I've seen it. We've seen it. So the one that actually springs to mind now is Heaven's is um, Hellbent that we looked at, or was it Heaven Sense? Okay, in the castle. Yeah, in the castle, and the Doctor talking everything through in in his own head, and you know, explaining what he's doing. But we had the visual representation of of his own mind. Mm. You know, but essentially, the Doctor's still talking to himself. Mm. It's no different, so I can see why it'd be a bit sort of off for you, but nah, it didn't bother me at all. Okay, fair enough. Um, the wooden TARDIS interior is like the secondary control room that they just happened to stumble across and find one day in an episode of Doctor Who. Is that uh, what that how, is? Yes, yes. It's, uh, how did you find that? What did you think of that? I've never seen that before. didn't know that was the explanation. I just thought they'd picked a really crap interior. <laughs> no, this was the second control room. The other control room, the white one, or the you know the usual one we're used to, is elsewhere in the TARDIS. Apparently. Oh, okay. So this is. I think they uh, they refer to them in you who when you know when the when it changes around all the time they refer to it as refreshing the desktop. Right. Okay. So it's like picking a, picking a background on an old PC, you know. So yes. Um, and the, they actually do mention in one of them. I think it's the Doctor's Wife episode where they take the TARDIS consciousness out. Um, they do mention having all the other control rooms sort of stored away somewhere in the in the depths of the TARDIS itself. So yeah, it makes sense. I just I thought it looked a little bit shit. Okay, see, I didn't mind it at all. I quite liked all the old word and all that sort of stuff. But maybe it's just a little bit of a change for me is nice, you know? Yeah, for changes as good as the rest in it. And there's far too many jokes to be made about you liking old wood. <laughs> yes indeed let's move on um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not go down another rabbit hole. no definitely not uh, the episode or well, the story starts effectively with the Doctor in the TARDIS having kind of visions Dan yeah he's um, he's in the we get the voice of which was pretty good to be fair you know giving a br- brief history of Gallifrey and you know it's a life of peace and ordered calm and, and all that crap but then he's visualising uh, or seeing an, an assassination, mm-hmm. which is something called the Panopticon. I don't know. <laughs> it's the the you president. You know all this. Come on. The outgoing president is assassinated in this vision, but then he is the one assassinating the president in his own vision. Yeah, it's all a bit like meta, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's quite clever but weird and it's 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 unsettling as well isn't it i think Doc, doctor who by way of inception yeah there we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was um it was a bit of a strange one um and it's but it's a very quick after the voiceover it's all you know very quick start and a lot of action mm. and we're straight from that and there's alarms going off there's because there's an unauthorized tardis materialization um, and the you know guards coming through and the talking about the, what type of TARDIS it is and it's meant to be obsolete and I, I did like the Doctor talking to the TARDIS and taking great offence. Yeah. Um, uh, so you, <laughs> so you know, basically telling us don't listen to them. You yeah. Know, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Um, and this is where we see the Castellan. Um, it was Castellan Spandrel. Um, I keep wanting to call him Castellan Spaniel. Yes, um, and me. Funnily enough, <laughs> yeah, but this is the first of our uh, first of this week's tropes. Uh, the actor playing Castellan is uh, George Pravda, who was uh, who played Jaeger in the Mutants in 1972, and who we will see later in this series uh, playing uh, Denesh in Enemy of the World in 1960, from 1968. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, uh, Czechoslovakian descent, apparently. The, yeah, the that makes sense with the that makes sense with the with the surname uh, Pravda. Yeah. Um, but what I do like about this is we get a first first little bit of uh, wee woo beep boop um, because they inform us that the well, I mean, we already know obviously that the barrier on a Type Forty Tardis is a double curtain trimonic. So the uh, so the the cast uh, the Chancery Guard will need a scythe indent key. Um, I mean, it's just standard shit, isn't it? Well, they should fact, know that on day one. The fact that they've had to have that explained to them, I think, shows a, a lack of ability on their part. To be fair. It really does, really. You know, but you know, they're just grunts out. They're just guards. They obviously did very badly at the academy. Mm, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, effectively, what we've got is that the TARDIS materializing there. It's been identified as being one missing TARDIS from that particular model. Mm. That you know, X amount were made, and then when they were decommissioned, one was not, and it's basically. You know, by, by a process of elimination and investigation, I suppose they just, they are, the, the, the time lords on Gallifrey, you know, come to the you know conclusion that inside that TARDIS is a dangerous criminal, a refugee, a, <laughs> you know, a, a, whoever's took this TARDIS <laughs> is bad news. <laughs> they, go, they go through a lot of unnecessary detail mm. to tell us that there were three hundred and four deregistered, but three hundred and five that were registered which means mm-hmm. that one was stolen in case we couldn't do that maths. Um, and they say it was, it was a, a tribunal malfeasance order dated 309906. Because, right. you know, we needed to know that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like you say, you know, it's a conv- convicted criminal inside. So you, the uh, the Castellan orders Hillary to have the guns readied and and gets, um, you know, ready to shoot the uh, the occupant, mm-hmm. which, yes. I'm sure go, which I'm sure will go just, just swimmingly. Well, you know, it, obviously it does. And <laughs> the doctor, he needs to go and warn the president about this impending assassination attempt that he has uh, envisioned, I guess. So he yeah. has to try and sneak past the guards that he's looking at on his monitor and so on. And he does this by setting his clothes up to look like uh, almost like a, a, a sort of mannequin in the corner. Um, and with like a smoke. He, he, he uses a hat rack. Yes. <laughs> and he takes stuff from what he called the cash and carry in Constantinople, <laughs> which is which is modern day modern day Istanbul, and mm. yeah, just setting off the smoke. And they find the hat on the hat and the coat on the rack, and the, with the note that he's written in it, it it's it, it's sort of quite wonderfully silly. Yeah. Because they catch him on the monitor, don't they? Then the doctor has sneaked past them as they've gone in to deal with this individual who they assume is is the the, the dangerous um, prisoner. But the doctor is just taking his jacket off, and they catch him on the monitor, just nipping off. You know, he's in no rush, is he? He's just he's just, he's just popping off for a bit of a stroll. Yeah, <laughs> he's toddling. Mm. He's just toddling off. And actually, we uh, we get a sight of. Uh, one of our unsung heroes who we've mentioned many times on this show, they may be unsung, but we're singing about them. Uh, the doctor's walking the halls and uh, runs into a guard who uh, sets off his, they call it a staser. Um, yes. See, I thought initially when they said about um, the stasers, I, there was two mindsets I had at this very early stage. One was that the, the, the guards were pronouncing it wrong and had messed their lines up and they just carried on. Because I thought it was going to be tasers, phasers, whatever, lasers, but stasers. I was a bit like, did he mess that up? And then I thought, 
are they taking the mick out of that guy's Czechoslovakian accent? No, no, I think <laughs> because they refer to it, they refer to it as that throughout. It's just, yes, it's the, it's the sci-fi name of choice, I suppose. Um, yeah. But the uh, the guard that the doctor kills there, because we actually do see the doctor kill a man, um, is played by our good friend Pat Gorman, who I've mentioned many times on this show. He had a twenty-one year running Doctor Who, and this is Pat Gorman's seventh appearance on episodes on this show. Why? And we're only a, a quarter of the way through our third season. Why? Fair play to the guy. Fair play to him. Uh, did the Doctor kill that guard? Yes, because they refer to it later on as they find the body and, and refer to him being killed. Yeah, but I thought that the cloaked guy shot the guard. Did he? Yeah. The Doctor bumps into another guard and he's shot by the cloaked figure. Oh, well, I got that wrong. And then the doctor is uh, uh, basically because he, you know, the, the whole gist of this is the doctor is being framed for something, isn't he? You know, spoiler alert, I guess. But he didn't. I don't think he killed the guard. I think the, this is the first time we see the baddie running around in the cloak, and he shoots the guard, and the doctor gets the blame for it. Oh well, if, well, because the doctor definitely has the struggle with uh, with Pat Gorman, right? And and definitely and definitely shot him. So whether the doctor, because I have no notes about the the guy in the cloak turning up at that point. Mm. Okay. Um, so maybe, maybe the doctor stunned him and, and, and the person in the cloak killed him. Mm, maybe. Okay. I, I, I don't know. know what, I, I'd have to rewatch uh, it again. But... The, um, the, the person in the cloak kills um, one of the people, uh, kills the, the cameraman overlooking the Panopticon. Yes. Later on. Yes. I, know that, yeah. I remember that much. Um, but not about Pat Gorman. Mm. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, that's what I've got. But again, I could be wrong. Whatever. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, can't say, I can't say whether whether you're right or wrong. It's just it's not part of my notes. Is all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, fair enough. Um, um, but the doctor watching. Sorry. So the doctor oh, ends up going back to the TARDIS, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he hides from the guards and uh, he, he pulls the old switcheroo. Ends up going back to the TARDIS, and we hear uh, we do hear a voice calling him predictable. But um, before that, we get we're back in with. Um, uh, coordinator Engin, who is played by Eric Chitty, who plays Charles Preslin in War of God in 1966. Okay. And it's a bit more information to fill you in on the backstory of, of the Doctor, saying that it was um, saying that he was banished to Earth and all that, and then his sentence was revoked after the intervention of the CIA, the Celestial Intervention Agency. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's basically we just get a little bit of um, the Castellan being annoyed at the at the Celestial Intervention Agency getting involved, and then they find out from Hilred that um, that they've lost the Doctor and he's, he's somewhere in the in the communications tower, and Castellan just rips Hilred a new arsehole over failing to over failing to conceal him. Yeah. <laughs> at this stage, to capture. at this stage, I'm thinking the Castellan's a bit of a knob. Yeah. Oh, he proper is, but Hilred has the note, and it's written in a, uh, it's written in a certain language, or written over a seal, sorry, of the Pridonian of the Pridonians, mm. uh, which are a sect of, of Time Lords, and it's basically a warning note saying to the Castellan of the Chancery Guard, I have good reason to think the life of the President is in grave danger. Do not ignore this warning, the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yes, and he does say later on as well, I left you a note, you know, as as as. Uh, as a throwback to that moment, I guess. Uh, 
the doctor when he's gone back to the TARDIS though, because again, this, this first episode is very much just setting the scene and building up to, I suppose the doctor's premonition, the doctor's vision yes. effectively coming true as our cliffhanger at the end of the episode, isn't it? So I think it sets the scene up. It sets the story really well. Yeah, it does. Um, there is there's a little exchange before this, but the doctor's in the TARDIS and he's he's basically looking for um, he's looking for the local news mm. to see yeah. what's going on because he's figured <laughs> out that it's he's figured out that it's um, uh, is, is it Ascension Day? He calls it something along those lines of the new president coming in, um, and so you know we, we see this guy doing a news broadcast, and it's uh, his name is uh, Commentator Runcible. Uh, who's uh, played by Hugh Walters. Uh, are you laughing at the word runcible? No, it's runcible the factuous, the doctor says. In that runcible the factuous, in, yeah. In that brilliant Tom Baker voice, it just sounded fantastic. Yeah, the doctor was really pleased to see him, bless him. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's played by Hugh Walters, who played Shakespeare in The Executioners in 1965 and Vogel in Revelation of the Daleks in 1985. Um, right. But yeah, I do like the whole thing of looking for the... Uh, looking through everything, but this, again, this news broadcast gives them a, a chance to bring in um, more information to pad out the world because we get an insight into the different, um, into the different sects of Time Lord, uh, mm-hmm. which again, I, I just find, inc- I just find inc- like anything like this incredibly interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd for sort of the history and lore of things, you know, on, on shows that I like. So finding out that the Scarlet and Orange Cloaks are the Pridonians, the greens are the Archalians, the, the heliotrope patterns are the Protrexes. Uh, I really like that. Um, mm. And we see a familiar character, if not in a familiar face, uh, because we see Cardinal Barusa. Yes. Uh, you mentioned about characters being knobheads before. Well, this guy is a special oh, yeah. kind of officious dickhead. Um, He's the uh, the leader of the Pridonians, and he's so far up his own ass he can see the back of his teeth. Oh, he proper loves himself, and in a really arrogant, conceited mm. way. And he really looks down on old Runcible, doesn't um, he? Yeah, he does. He gives him a right rinsing. But is it any wonder then that this Barusa decided to go for immortality in the Five Doctors? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. ends up a patio slab. What a dickhead. Yeah. I've, actually written, <laughs> I've, I've actually written in my notes, what a pompous dickhead. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we've also run into it by this point. We've seen um, that the Castellans been inf- been informed of the Pridonian thing and saying, you know, how he's dangerous because if he's, he's forsworn his birth, if the doctor's forsworn his birthright, he's got nothing left to lose um, and, and bits and pieces like that. Um, and he's doing all this while talking to Chancellor Goth, mm-hmm. um, who. Is played by Bernard Horsfall, and he played Gulliver in Mind Robber in 1968, and was Tar- we've seen as Taron in Planet of the Daleks in 1973. It, honestly, it blows my mind how many actors reappear over and over and over again in Doctor Who, but over the course of decades, you know? Yeah, it's crackers, isn't it? Because this this is what thir- this is 86, so. 13 years later from Planet of the Daleks. Hmm. Did, you say was, did you say it was 86? 86? No, 76 this is. Oh, 76, sorry. So yeah. three years later anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah of course it's 76. But again, it, 
just pops up all over the place. It's just different actors all over. I mean, obviously the, the guys that you champion there who have done numerous roles as Cybermen and Daleks and so on, that's mm. incredible in itself. But you get other people who turn up who have got fairly prominent speaking roles and they appear again like a few years later in a fairly prominent speaking role. It's, it, I, don't know how, I don't know why it amazes me so much, but it, it's fascinating. Yeah, I find it brilliant. But then, you know, we see some of that, and, and I'm sure we'll come to it in, in New Who in later seasons, because um, uh, Freeman Adjaman, who played uh, Martha Jones, she had, uh, it wasn't a prominent speaking role, but it was a speaking role in um, um, the episode with the, the Doctor and Rose in the Battle of Canary Wharf. Right. She was in that, and then yeah. became the companion in it under, under a different character name. Yeah, but it's they, her cousin. Yeah, so yeah, they did. Yeah, and then yeah, you know, clever. going for you know, going through Torchwood, um, Gwen, um, I can't remember her name, who played Gwen Cooper. She was in the um, the uh, the Charles Dickens Gas Ghost episode with Eccleston, right? And uh, the woman who played uh, Tosh in Torchwood, she was in um, Aliens of London, you know, with the uh, the Slovene and the farting mm. <laughs> and all of that. So yeah, I, I absolutely love it though. I love anything like mm. that. And actually, speaking of which, I missed one of my tropes. Uh, Angus McKay, who plays Cardinal Barusa, he was also the headmaster in Mordrin Undead in 1983. After this, why? Okay. So again, another one who's uh, who's gone on to do uh, to do bits and pieces. Um, but what we've got with um, with the Castellan speaking to Chancellor Goth now, that's that ends with Goth saying he wants to see a Type 40 Tardis, mm. and that becomes quite significant later on. And what I like about this is it's seemingly just an exchange trying to establish a motive and to give them reason to suspect the Doctor. But it comes to something much more significant later on. Mm. And I love that kind of scene. That, it's not even foreshad- foreshadowing. It's just dropping a seed in the mind. Yeah. And then you say, oh, that's why they did it. Yeah. The ulterior motive and, oh, love it. It's great. Um, speaking of Barusa, sorry, uh, you mentioned about the the attire and the different groups of Time Lords and the colours and so on. There is actually a mistake here that I, I read about, and I would have noticed it if I hadn't read it online and went back and had a little look. But he is a cardinal of the Prydonian chapter, you say, Dan? Yes. So when he goes to a ceremony later on, he should have been wearing the colours of scarlet and orange, regardless mm-hmm. of how high up he was, that was their colours. But he's actually wearing a different tropes colours, different robes, oh. which fits in with a different group of Time Lords that are present as well. So I don't know if it was just a bit of a mistake. He picked up the wrong robe or what they didn't have his size. I don't know. But yeah, a little bit of a little bit of an error there, which again, I oh. love seeing those things as well. I'm disgusted I didn't spot it myself. <laughs> I didn't spot it. I, I literally, I, I read it online. It was just, and I went back and had a look, and I was like, "Oh yeah, look at that!" Yeah, yeah there you go. So yeah, and um, also, also with the um, with the thing with the Tardis, the Castle and, and Goth go to uh, visit. It, essentially, the Doctor's still inside, and uh, the uh, and, and the Chancellor has it uh, transducted into the capital, mm-hmm. and it materializes inside inside the museum. So the doctor yeah. can set off and look for the uh, look for the panopticon. And again, it's this sort of the sort of cat and mouse aspect to the yeah. start of it, and, and knowing now what what happens later on, it's it's like moving chess pieces on a board and then realizing that you're falling, you know, you're falling into a trap. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, you mentioned earlier on as well that the uh, cameraman filming this presidential, um, I, I don't know, occasion. Uh, gets mm. killed off by the cloaked figure. 
And I thought this was quite clever as well because we've seen we've seen the doctor's vision of the doctor shooting the president. Mm. And he is he's 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 got himself some robes and so on from from where he's you know, the TARDIS has been zapped to. So we see him down on the floor where the president gets shot in these elaborate Time Lord robes. But little things happen. And then he loses the headdress and part of his robe. And, yeah. and it basically all leads to the vision that he had at the start of the episode being the conclusion of the end of the first episode. But at that time, when he first walks into that room, you don't, I, I didn't anyway think that it was going to lead to that because he's wearing these big elaborate Time Lord gear and, and so on. I think that was really clever. It was, it was a fantastic bit of misdirection, mm. um, but also plays into an old sort of sci-fi time traveling trope in that because the doctors had this vision and seen it happen in the future, because he's then gone it, because he's then gone to that place, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm. if you like. Yeah. Um, and just to see how you get from A to B, I think it's very well written, very well done and, and just very well thought out. It really is, like you say, it really is very clever and, and a lot of fun to see how he gets from from A to B, so to speak. Mm. Um, but before that, we get our first look at the Krusty Master. The Krusty Master. What were your thoughts, my friend? What were your thoughts? It was a weird mix of really creepy and really shit. Like the makeup, the, 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 oh, I say the makeup and prosthetics, the, the sort of the stuff he's got on his head. Mm-hmm. Because let's be fair, the, the skin effect, look, it looks like it, it'd flake away at a touch. Yeah. It, the, the burns and whatnot look incredible, but it's the yogurt pot eyes that get me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, just like, with just like little pinpricks out of them for pupils. But the rest of him so burnt. I'm just, I was sat there thinking, ooh, ooh what? Ugh, I don't like look at that. And then, but then just going, how, how often his eyes melted? Mm. You know, it was, it was bizarre, but I think it was quite well performed as well. Yes. You know, the, the, the delivery of the lines was brilliant, and it has to be because the mouth doesn't move. Um, you know, he's having this, uh, the, the master's having this uh, sort of debate with this hooded figure who's, who's his lackey saying, you know, oh, well, he'll gain entry to the Panopticon without further help because he's resourceful. He knows he's entering a trap, but he can't resist the bait. Um, the, you know, and the bait being the hope of preventing the assassination. And the master calls the doctor a quixotic fool. <laughs> um, he, I'll be honest, I like to think I've got a, a quite a, a, a quite a hefty vocabulary. I don't know what quixotic means, and I forgot to look it up. No idea. I've got no clue. but we'll just assume that the master is correct (laughs) Um, it's a a fancy way of calling him a twat i think so mate i think so indeed let's go with that but i mean effectively we're we're now at the end of episode one aren't we because the the sort of prophecy has kind of come true the doctor is stood on what would you call it like a tv balcony kind of thing yeah basically it's a gantry Mm, that's it. the word I was looking for, gantry. Yes. Yeah, he's up on the gantry. He's there with the. Cause initially, I thought the the machine that the cameraman was operating was actually a big gun. Yeah. Okay. 
but it, obviously it wasn't. Um, the uh, the cameraman's been taken out. The gun's been left up there. The doctor runs up, gets partially stripped. You know, he, he has quite a nice, pleasant exchange with Runcible, uh, which I mm. suppose was 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 it was nice for somebody to be nice to Runcible. Yeah. Um, yeah. He gets up to the gantry, and something takes him over, and he uh, he shoots the president, and, and that's the big cliffhanger, and that's where the doctor made a dead. <laughs> and that's where the president died. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's where the doctor murdered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these uh, This story here has got, I, I mean, it's a four-parter. Uh, so effectively we have three cliffhangers because the last part is obviously, you know, going on to the next story, even though we do get a little mini cliffhanger at the end, which I'm, I'm sure we'll come to. But in, in polls with Doctor Who magazine and various websites and, and so on, the cliffhangers in this story are ranked very, very high in the greatest cliffhangers, countdowns, and so on. And this is ranked as one of the best with the doctor actually shooting the president. And I think it is really, really well done. It really is. Yeah. It's just as a story point, you're thinking if I was what, you know, you imagine you what sat there watching that, and you're just mm-hmm. thinking, how the hell is he going to get out of this? Where is this story going? The, the quite literally endless possibilities from here on yeah. and that's what you want out of a good cliffhanger to spark that discussion and that that sort of just the, all the ideas and and everything like that yeah i completely see how it gets put up there as a greatest cliffhangers absolutely love it mm. it also caused a great deal of controversy because of the level of violence and certain scary aspects i mean mary whitehouse had an absolute field day with this story of doctor who this was when mm-hmm. when mary whitehouse used to put if you don't know who that is listeners google her because it can take too long for us to explain but basically she was a bit of a busybody that complained about stuff on telly she was she was she was the physical embodiment of what somebody please think of the children yeah exactly and i mean <laughs> A lot of the time, she would complain about Doctor Who, saying it was too scary, there was too much violence, there was too much of this, too much of that. With this story, I can sometimes kind of see her point with certain moments, but not all. But this is one of the stories that Mary Whitehouse used to use as an example over and over again, whenever she would have the occasion to basically bend somebody's ear with her cause. Yeah, well, she can shove it up her ass, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> to be quite honest, it's I mean, you know I get it. It's it's maybe pushing the boundaries for you know for prime time telly on a you know on, on an evening whatever. But at, at the same time, you, you don't actually see anything that that you wouldn't see in say like a, you know a western or something like that. And that, mm. that nowadays, I suppose nowadays are rated like you, you know you or PG. You know. It, Let's be fair. That the 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 gunshots, it, the gunshot there was wasn't realistic. Later on, I can maybe see. In fact, I've just remembered the attempted drownings. Yeah, that was that was the big one. That one and one of yeah. the two that really stood stood out for for Miss Whitehouse. Yeah, uh, I kind of get it, but nobody actually died, so it's fine. Shut up, Mary. Yeah, should have married from 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the Doctor, we start the episode, uh, episode two, with the Doctor being caught. The President is dead. The trial will start right away. They're, they're not wasting time here. And I think this is what's really good about this particular story. It's a four-parter, and a lot goes on. I don't think it's going to take long for us to cover 
because there's certain mm. talking points we, we touch upon and a lot of sort of stuff in between that builds up these talking points. But I don't feel there's any moment that drags or is too slow. I think it's paced very, very well. It is, yeah, and it, and it, it fits in perfectly with um, with one particular character's uh, motivation because it, it's Chancellor Goth who wants everything done now, 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 mm-hmm. now. And it, it leads to some great sort of back and forth between Goth and Barusa because Barusa's calling, you know, calling for things to sort of calm down a little bit, but we get all the talk of like constitutional crisis and all this other stuff, uh, which again just pads out the world so so well. But it's completely relevant to what's going on, and like you said, they don't linger on anything for too long because you can see from like early Star Wars movies just have so much political bullshit in them, yeah, that it gets bogged down and just gets boring. This does no such thing. Yeah, this this has got I mean just about enough of the political background that leads to you know the whole point of the story. It's got mm. just enough of the crusty master and what he's up to. It's got just enough of the doctor. It's got, I think everything is balanced so well. I mean, even with stories that I really enjoy, there are times when I'm like, well, I'd like to have seen a bit more of that. And you've gone on about this too long here. I don't get that with any real aspect. No, no. And I think it's sort of, it's typified by this sort of this opening to the second episode. The doctor gets caught. The election gets called the, back and forth between Goth and Barusa and, and Goth ultimately talking him around saying he doesn't want the Time Lords looking leaderless and in disarray. Mm. Um, and then the doctor, we go straight to the Doctor being tortured to confess, um, which, which led to a great line where the Doctor says, all right, I'll confess. I confess you're a bigger idiot than I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> There's another exchange here that I loved as well, man. Uh, Castellan goes and visits him, doesn't he, whilst he's being tortured? Yes. And the Doctor says, do you still think I did it? And the Castellan responds, I think you're going to be executed for it. He doesn't commit yeah. either way. I thought that was so clever. Yeah, it really was. It's like, because the Castellan's then sort of removing himself from any responsibility of what's going to happen. He's mm. just presenting the reality to the doctor that it doesn't really matter if you did it. You know, it, it's it, the evidence is there to convict. Um, which again, I really liked it. It's, it's, you know, saying you've got about three hours to live. Because they're going to vaporise him, um, despite it being, uh, you know, against whatever constitution and and things like that. They have a, a back and forth to the Doctor and the Castellan about motive and, and stuff like that, and basically the Doctor trying to talk himself, uh, talk himself out of trouble. Yes, the um, the Castellan though he is relatively easily won over here. He does kind of he doesn't. I suppose I suppose he doesn't commit in any way. So I suppose saying he's easily won over is, is a bad, a bad turn of phrase potentially, he's, but he's, he's, he, he sorry, he's, he's, he's open to the logic. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd say. Um, and I think you sort of needed that, but, but we've already seen, you know, the Castellan, he, he deals in facts and he deals in sort of common sense. So I think that plays into it. Sorry for interrupting. That's all right. Yeah, no worries. And it it goes already against my initial impression of the Castellan because I thought he was an absolute dick in the first episode. But here we're starting to go, well, starting to realize, okay, this guy isn't actually all that bad. And he ends up effectively being on the doctor's side for, for want of a better term, really, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And it's but it's one of these where he will follow that, he will follow the logic and, and the rules to the point of being a dick. 
but then when the logic dictates that he's on the viewer's side, then we think, yeah, actually he's not, he's not all, it's, it's the, it's the clock, a stop clock's right twice a day principle. Right. You okay. know, <laughs> that's the way I see it anyway. Um, because then we've got, you know, we've got Engin dismissing the visions as impossible. Um, and actually, sorry, this one thing I meant to mention before, the Castellan's talking to Engin on a, a device on his wrist, like a watch right. and you can see the faces. Yes. I thought that was a brilliant special effect for, for the time. Yeah. I, that was really cool. I, like, I, yeah, yeah, just way beyond anything I thought they'd do. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talk about, you know, a lot of We Will Beat Boop about the, um, about these, you know, biographies and, and key codes and, and how, you know, each Time Lord has a directory entry and, and their full sort of history and, and potentially even the future. Um, and you know how could it, you know how could it be hacked? Who has access? And you know it, it would take somebody a genius with a phenomenal grasp of applied excitonics to you of know course. to get this information. Yeah, you know, <laughs> again, we all know that it's um, again a lot of information and, and world building and and adding to the mystery. Because mm. this whole thing is kind of a who done it yes. at this point, yeah. Um, but done very very quickly. So it, it's again, again, just really, just really, really good. Yeah. Um, and again, just a lot of bouncing around from this point as well, because I think we're from there, sort of almost straight into the trial. Yeah, that happens very, very quickly, and uh, the Chancellor's, you know, very, very confident of being the new president, and he wants the trial done and dusted very quickly, and so on. And then I've got a note simply saying the trial is obviously bullshit. Yeah, pretty much, um, because we've established at this point that Chancellor Goth is everybody's favourite for the, to be the next president. Mm-hmm. His dilemma is um, custom dictates that an, an incoming president pardons political prisoners, and I, so either he sets free a murderer, uh, sorry, he sets free the murderer of his predecessor, or he breaks with the tradition, mm. and that's part of the reason for, his, for him wanting to get it done. Um, but yeah, the trial's basically rigged. Goth just wants him convicted and executed as quickly as possible. Yeah. But turns out the doctor knows a thing or two. Um, you know, who would have thunk it? Hey, doctor's pretty clever. And he invokes, Old Article 17. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that was my first thought, and, you know, with my extensive knowledge of, of, uh, of Time Lord Law and Customs. Uh, mm. Invokes Article 17 and effectively puts himself forward for election. Yes. Oh, this is such a great little twist. So clever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but it's... It's the delivery of it makes it sound perfectly logical. You know, the way the doctor delivers it, the way the other characters react to it, it all feels perfectly logical. But somebody had to think that up. So, because in effect, you can pull out a law from anywhere, you know, in your mind, mm-hmm. but it takes a certain type of, of creativity to make it believable and logical. Yes. So, I really appreciated that little detail. And what I think adds to it as well is that uh, Goff, when they say about uh, he coming to power, him being president, one of the first things he says he will do is make changes to Article 17. So it's obviously pissed him off as well, the fact that the doctors mm. use their own rules against them, which, again, I think it backs up what you were saying, Dan. It just adds to the believability of the doctor knowing this and using this almost, or I suppose, almost legal loophole in a way. Yeah, it's a technicality. 
Mm. Um, and they even say it in the show that he's abusing a legal technicality. And the doctor responds with, no, sir, I'm exercising a legal right. Um, <laughs> what yeah. a smarmy bastard. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's the two, so that's the two sides of the coin, the way to view it. And I think it's brilliant to, to put it out that way. So in my notes here, I've just got the, the, the doctor has, has maneuvered it perfectly. He's given himself extra time. He's got 48 hours to clear his name, which is better than three, as he points out. Yeah. But so the end result of it is the trial regimes after the election. If he wins the election, he's effectively fine because he can pardon himself, which is a bit weird. <laughs> but if he loses the election, the pressure is still on Goff to pardon him. Yeah. Because Goff will be, will be president by then and custom dictates. So he's again, been the smartest person in any given room. See, oh, you're, see, you're, you're the smartest person in this little internet ring. Cause I didn't, <laughs> think, I didn't even think that far into it. I just thought doctors bought themselves some time. But the way you've explained that is like, oh my God, yeah, that's perfect. It's even more clever than I thought. And I thought this was really, really clever. <laughs> uh, see, I've, 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 I've watched too many sort of like murder mystery things and bits and pieces like that. So yeah. the old, the old <laughs> grey matter worked pretty well there. Um, uh, the doctor uh, here, he's going he's gonna to use this time to basically try and find out who really killed the president. Uh, and this is, you know, the timing of it was quite important as well, which will come up later on, in that the, the president was about to give the names of the people he would recommend to succeed him. But he mm. never got round to that happening. Uh, so the doctor needs to investigate this to basically clear his own name and find out whoever's behind it and all the all the bad guys and the evil goings on. So they go to effectively, I suppose, what you call the crime scene. And you've got the chalk drawing on the floor of where the president died, but they've yeah. drawn around his headdress. So yeah. you've got this massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's like, <laughs> oh, can you it's so someone, silly. Can, can you imagine if someone died wearing a top hat? And then just and the police in real life just like drew around the hat. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, one, of those, one of those one of those old like stove pipes just. Oh, absolutely ridiculous! So so yeah. silly, but it was but, so funny. But dude, you've you've I appreciate the humor in that. I, 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 I I've not thought about it until he said it, but that is ridiculous. It is so like, dark, properly but ridiculous. Honestly. But you've kind of glossed over one of the best bits of this episode. Okay. And it's when the master receives news of the doctor invoking article 17. And he says that they have this bit of sort of back and forth to the, to, to, uh, the master and his lackey saying that escape, you know, escape isn't in doctor's mind. He's hunting the assassin. The lackey saying it's a mistake bringing the doctor here. And the master says that they couldn't have used just anyone. And he gives this great, creepy speech saying, you do not understand hatred as I understand it. Oh. Only only hate keeps me alive. Why else would I endure this pain? And he lifts a manky hand, rotting hand out of his, like all of these tattered robes that he's wearing. I said, I must see the doctor die in shame and dishonor. And I must destroy the Time Lords. Nothing else matters. And they have a creepy zoom, zoom in on the yogurt pot eyes. Yeah, which some yeah. which it's somehow even though I'm pretty sure I can see the see the Danone printing on it, it was still uh, <laughs> was still a bit unnerving. Yeah, it was good. It was very good. On the other side of the coin, something else that we kind of missed out on during the trial and all this nonsense is happening, and, and witnesses are being very obviously led to say mm. certain things to get the conviction they want. 
the doctor is just sat there with a little book doing drawings of everyone. He's doing caricatures, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a knobhead just sat there in court, just like may as well have drawn a, a drawn a dick on the edge. Oh, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> See that big willy on this bit of paper? That's you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so just, show, just shows just shows one of them a little dot on <laughs> some bumhole. That's you, dickhead. <laughs> uh, back at the crime scene, however, we uh, we have a few things that happen here, and again, it's all very quick, but it doesn't feel too quick. It's all it's all pretty action based, isn't it? Uh, and aspects are happening quite quickly, but it doesn't feel rushed at all. We, the cloaked figure arrives again. Yeah. And we also have the doctor looking at the gun and aspects of that. I mean, talk us through that, Dan. What did you think of this? So, uh, again, really like this because it's the doctor there. His main effort now is to clear his name and mm. find He's the doing his Columbo Yeah, basically. <laughs> but we find out that the rifle that he allegedly used to kill the president, the sight's wonky as anything. So he couldn't hit anything if he tried. And then just through powers of deduction the doctor thinks that the real assassin is a member of the high council who was surrounding the president, the president. He saw his stairs are drawn, but there's still no evidence. Mm. And the doctor says, well, the evidence is in the public TV camera. So they order the, so they go to the panopticon and Runcible summoned and they, um, they're going up to, uh, to, to find out what happened. And this is where you, like you say, the cloak figure comes in um, and his, his technicians disappeared. So Runcible's going to have to sort it himself. So as this is all happening, um, sorry, I'm just getting my, uh, just, just get, I got lost in my notes then. Um, that was it. The Doctor and the Castellan find an unusual mark in the wall, which is inconsistent with the Staser. But Runcible finally gets up to the camera, opens the thing to get the data canister, screams and faints. Yeah. <laughs> and while, so while, the, while people are getting up there to him, the Doctor and Castellan, whoever, the uh, this hooded figures there and taking uh, the data disks out. Mm-hmm. So they get to Runcible. The hooded figure's gone, and we find that what's freaked out Runcible is that his technician has been shrunk and he's in the camera. And the doctor, as, as the doctor puts it, matter condensation, particularly nasty cause of death. And all I've got in my notes here is that so much of Sasha Dawan's master makes sense now. Right. Okay. All this, all the, all the stuff he's done through, you know, through Whitaker's run of of shrinking people and and stuff like that. Yeah, it must have been founded in this episode. Roger Dargaldo did it a bit as well. Oh, did he? Uh, in, in the master, in his master stuff as well. Yes, I think so. I may, I may have completely made that up, but I got a vision in my head of a Dargaldo episode having something similar as well. Right. Well, to be fair, actually, to be fair, the Doctor does say they've seen it before. Yeah, it's a technique that the Master picks up. Uh, but the Castellan doesn't know who the master is. And oh. um, the, the doctor gives a great description. He says, my mortal enemy, a fiend that feeds on destruction. So, you know, yeah. the, but they go through who the master is once a time, Lord. Uh, thing, you know, basically it's all falling into place for the doctor now. And, you know, if the master's on Gallifrey, it's some, you know, it's an old score to settle essentially. Um, <laughs> the Castellan has a brilliant bit where he just said, um, can you take your shit elsewhere? Yeah. Do you don't want <laughs> yeah. Basically, take it outside, lads. You know, the Castellan yeah. here is acting like a Weatherspoon's bouncer. He's like, <laughs> he's like, we don't want no trouble here. You know, he's not worth it. 
<laughs> Pretty sure that's the first time a high-ranking Gallifreyan official's been compared to a spoon's bounce. <laughs> Just take it outside. Um. <laughs> but, uh. but this leads them basically to, you know, they the dropped in the thing before about having these data entries and biogs on, on all the time lords. So the cast land then reasons if the master is a time lord, there should be a full biography on him. Yes. So again, sense. it's you know they drop the seed before they have it there, and then they call back to it later on. It's it really is good, and then we so the cast on quite rightly is is sort of freaking out about the fact there's been four killings in one day. <laughs> oh yeah, all in a very Which, small yeah. area as well. Yeah. yeah, a bit odd in it. Yeah, they're talking about this elaborate time lord. Um, situation, the, the presidential uh, events, and so on. When you actually look at, it, and they got all got the, the fancy dress, and and they're all you know dressed to the nines, and it all it all comes across very elaborate and huge and a big deal. But when you actually look at where they're stood, and then where the guy got shot, it's a pretty pokey little room. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it is a wee bit, but you know they did the best they could with the money. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think that's that's the deciding factor. Um, but again, it all moves very quickly. They've, you know, the, there's nothing on the master. It, it, the data entry has been destroyed. Um, but Engen again's saying it's you know it's not possible. He's talking about excitonic circuitry and genius, and and the doctor basically says it's <laughs> he basically shits on time lord technology. He says it's child says it's child's play to the master. Do you think this stuff's sophisticated? There are worlds out there where this kind of equipment would be considered prehistoric, a prehistoric drunk, <laughs> a junk, um, and. We get some lovely wee-woo beep-boop about the actual system. And I, I love this. I'm going to go into it, if you don't mind. Yeah, is this sorry, is this um, the APC machine they're on about now? Yeah. Yes, yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, me and you know what it is. Of course, yeah. But for the benefit of the listeners, yeah. For the benefit of the listeners, the doctor says the master's a mathematical genius. And, uh, you know, we, we find out about the amplified panatra. I'm a genius, but I can't speak properly. Uh, the... Uh, <laughs> The APC system, the Amplified Panotropic com- Computations Controls, which are trillions of electrochemical cells in a continuous matrix, essentially a repository of departed time lords. So at the moment of death, a scan is taken of the brain pattern of every time lord and stored and transferred in there, and it's used to monitor life in the capital and predict the future. It's pretty morbid and pretty... Pretty controlling as well, isn't it? Like using it, it to predict the future, and it's the dead people's minds. It's quite. I mean, I, obviously, time lords do what they do, whatever. But that I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel comfy with that. Yeah, it's it, it's a weird one. In that, this is weird and a bit creepy. Mm. But they take it to a completely higher level in New Who. So this idea of storing Time Lord consciousness is revisited in the um, uh, in Peter Capaldi era. Okay. Um, uh, because he references, you know, the, the repository of all knowledge of the Time Lords. And when he's trying to rescue Clara in in uh, Heaven Sent... Oh, no, sorry, is it Hellbent? I, can, I always get those two mixed up. Whichever one we didn't cover. Okay, the, right. the, the episode after that... Um, he goes into effectively the, um, the the bowels of the machine because by this point, this APC system is enormous. 
got billions of years of time lord history and therefore billions of time lords uh, lord consciousnesses in there but there's these wraiths that guard the matrix rocking around and they're almost like time lord zombies yeah and it's just like that, that it started creepy and weird and it's gone a little bit too far you know how do you get from oh we're going to start all the brain scans you know because we need data and then we're going to try and predict the future and avert disaster and all of that you go from that to zombie guards mm. yeah it's a bit of a bit of an odd turn isn't it just a bit just a bit yeah but yeah effectively it's a brain a brain storage device um and they go through how the you know time lords are telepathic so you can intercept a forecast of the assassination and beam it directly into the doctor's mind and then that's right so, sorry, Dan, that's right, because they asked, they said this is used to predict the future, so why didn't it see the assassination? And the doctor was like, it did, it was sent to me. Yeah. yeah somebody, somebody plucked a thought or, or a prediction mm. directly out of the, a matrix of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of consciousnesses, and beamed it into the doctor's mind through time and space. Yeah. That's a pretty cool concept. It, it, it is. It's like, yeah, it's just like that. It sounds really bloody impressive. But you've got all that going on. You've got you've got the the whole effectively darkness of them storing time lord brain patterns and subconscious after they die. This whole matrix of it all predicting the future in a really creepy way. And somebody, as you said, Dan, has plucked out this one particular prediction about somebody being killed and all this. And in the middle of all that sort of almost dark content, dark storytelling, mm. the doctor goes, "You know what?" I'm just going to nip into that matrix for a little bit and see what the crack is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what, what, could, what could, what could possibly go wrong with plugging yourself into hundreds of thousands of millions of other minds just to uh, tell a poke about and see what's what, mm. you know, it, it, it couldn't, it couldn't yes. be that you make one, you make one wrong move and the whole thing goes haywire and, and you either get trapped in there or die or, or whatever. You know, but they even say that they say that it's too dangerous as the psychosomatic feedback might kill him. Mm, but of course, apparently, it, it, the doctor says it's better than being vaporized. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I suppose if, if he's thinking about going out on his own terms, then maybe, but it was, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, um, pretty big undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as he, he sort of lies down, gets the nodes attached to his head looks in incredible pain and then has to go through a kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then he appears in the Matrix, which looks just like a quarry. Yeah. <laughs> we're back to quarries. We haven't had any Nazis yet, but we're in a quarry. It is fantastic. But this quarry is quite nice because it's not just a rocky quarry. It's got quite a bit of vegetation and plant life as well, which is quite pleasant. It's a quarry swamp. A, a yes. quampy, a quampy, a quampy. There you go. That, that works. We'll take a that. Sw- a swarry, a swarry. That's something else, I think, isn't it? A swarry. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds yeah, wrong, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a little bit. I don't know. But, uh, if, you, but if, you, if you, how are you today, mate? I'm, I'm a bit quampy. <laughs> that sounds like you just got an upset stomach. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm somehow dry and dusty, yet humid and smelly. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's, it's me with a hangover. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the next thing we see, and this is now literally coming up to the last moments of the second episode and another pretty spectacular uh, cliffhanger. 
the doctor is now in the quarry, which is the matrix, the, the sort of subconscious collection of minds. The first thing I notice is he's all of a sudden got his scarf around his neck, which he didn't have when he you know, went on that peculiar journey. And then you just get a load of weird stuff, but there's a crocodile all of a sudden appearing yeah. that makes him yeah. jump. Yeah, how, uh, there's an alligator, there's a disembodied laughter. He somehow falls down a little bank and nearly off the edge of the quarry, but mm, catches himself his scarf, on his scarf. Oh, yeah. yeah and it, then we get a weird samurai guy that looks a little bit like a mouldy apple. Mouldy apple shogun shows up, yeah. Yeah. Cuts the uh, scarf, causing the doctor to fall. And all the while this is happening, the, the doctor's in the machine sweating profusely and Engin's monitoring the brain activity. And saying that he must have uh, must have high levels of artron energy, which you know anybody who knows even the basics of, uh, of time lord physiology knows that the doctor mm. does. Yeah, you need to be careful with how high that level goes, though. You need tablets if you get to too much of a level. You know, you got. But if you, have, if you have a but if you have a sudden drop in in artron energy, then you know you might collapse and. Yes. You, you, it's basically yes. like balancing your blood pressure. It is, I suppose. <laughs> we don't have to talk some <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, the thing, doc- is, thing is, we're talking about a show where there's been an alligator and a samurai for no reason, and the guy's mm-hmm. tried to save himself with a scarf. And yeah. then next up, the doctor's just waking up with an oxygen mask on on a on, a, on like a like a, a weird sort of dentist chair slash operating slab. Yeah, but again, still in the quarry, so that couldn't have been particularly hygienic surgery. You there's know? a giant, a, a giant fucking needle. Yeah, and then I instantly thought of you because there's a, a creepy-looking fucker with a donkey and a gas mask. Yep, yep, that unnecessary. <laughs> it uh, was because what, what's the point? The guy just walks around with the donkey for a bit and then disappears. What's the point? It did make me laugh that the horse also had a gas mask on. Yeah, yeah, that, that was quite amusing for some reason. Um, but and then we've got a disembodied voice saying that the doctor was a fool to venture into his domain, mm. and then th- we find some real race, uh, real whale rate. Whale, whale, ray. Yeah. Well, whale, there's a whale ray. Um, yeah. It's a giant whale flops out of the sky and it's got a ray gun on its head. Exactly. Um, so well, no, no, odd, no more odd than the World War One guy turning up with a donkey. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, just, just, just you wait till Enemy of the World, uh, not Enemy of the World, uh, just you wait till War Games, mate. Yeah, um, yeah that'll be uh, that'll be mad. Um, so yeah, the Doctor then gets his foot stuck in some railway tracks and there's two trains lined up to crash into him. Yes, and uh, that was the end of the episode, Dan. And that's where the doctor's brain died. Mm. <laughs> but again, what a great cliffhanger. Mm. <laughs> a tear surging. Um, <laughs> that, uh, again, no, a, not a again. brilliant cliffhanger. Wasn't that a great cliffhanger? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. It's just massive peril. A little bit cheesy, but... Yeah, I suppose. Well, you know, it's kind of, it's very um, sort of early days cinema where the uh, the villain would have the damsel in distress tied to the railroad tracks and, uh, and you know, getting a train, you know, get set a train off, but... Yeah, like the old yeah. silent movies. And yeah. she'd, be t- she'd be tied up on the tracks and the camera would cut to her and she'd, like, basically mouth loads and loads of words, really dramatic, like, ah, oh, and this sort of stuff, but you can't hear it. And then the board would pop up and it would just say, oh, no. Oh, oh, ah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's quite easily resolved, though, when we start episode three, because the train just vanishes and the doctor kind of just pops his foot out the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And deduces that it's effectively illusions or dreams. Mm. And and then he accidentally steps in a big egg. Yeah. And he's he's just sort of denying the reality. 
um, as it's the computation matrix, and the the quarry gives way to to the circuits and the kaleidoscopes. Um, but it, the the quarry restores and the doctor collapses, so you can tell it's sort of a real mental battle mm-hmm. for this for this reality to be there in the first place, but also that the doctor can reel against it, which is just another sort of fun aspect to the whole thing. Mm. Um, and then the quarry gets eyes. Yeah, and talks to him for a bit. That was a bit. Yeah. Funny. And then the doctor yeah. moves a bit of gravel around, and there's a clown on the floor. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's just like a sand clown laughing, and it is. Yeah. Like, I think I think he opens it. It's like glass. I think it's meant to be the doctor's reflection. Right. Um, so the doctor's looking at his reflection, but the clown's looking back at him. So it's like the master mocking him. I've got a note here that says, uh, "Clown reflection on the floor." Okay, what the fuck is going on though? because <laughs> it was just well, so, I appreciate it's all tricks in the mind to try and mess him up but there's so much randomness I'm thinking oh, okay maybe this is the only occasion during the show where I thought let's move on a little bit shall we but then we found out where the budget for the show went because mm. they've got they've got a plane chasing him they got a proper biplane yeah and they're doing some aerial acrobatics and some shooty shooty bang bang yeah that, that was quite cool to be fair that was quite cool yeah, they're quite like that, you know. He's the doctors have they're running off. It's it is pretty cool seeing all the aerial acrobatics and and, and the peril of, of being shot at. So I had nothing against this. It, again, like you say, it's the only time where I thought maybe it could have been shortened. But when at this point in time, when you've got the budget and, and the resource to have that kind of scene, and you're going to shoot that footage, you need to justify having it. So you're going to put it in. It's like what we saw with the um, the Sea Devils episode and the extended shots aboard the uh, aboard ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you kind of have to, don't you? Um, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, I think the Doctor realizes he's cut his leg as well. It denies oh, the damage, and yeah. it and it heals. And we hear the we hear the voice say, "You are trapped in my creation, my reality rules," and the the wound gets reinstated. Yes, because. I had to go back and rewatch that because the doctor's knee is bleeding, as you said. He denies it, it vanishes. And then in a later scene, he ties it up. And I'm thinking, why is he tied it up if it's disappeared? So I scanned back a little bit to see that it had, it had actually come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, just uh, another sort of reinforcement of, of the master's control mm-hmm. and, and how hard the doctor's going to have to fight to, uh, to, to get anything from it. Um, the <laughs> Castellan and Engin are basically playing nurse at this point as well. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, those two are fantastic. You know, Engin's just—he's uh, one of my favorite characters in this story because he comes across as such a bumbling old dude, but obviously knows his stuff. But yeah. it's and the exchanges as well. I don't know what happens to Time Lords with regards to their hearing when they get older, but everyone seems to communi- struggle to communicate during this story. The older Time Lords <laughs> are all going what? What? What was that? What? All the way through, you know? But it just makes it quite comical for me. Yeah, but they, but they said that during the trial, didn't they? When they had um, the, the Time Lord up there and they said they were sort of going round and about saying, oh, well, you heard him say this, mm. uh, but, but how old are you now? Yeah. How, you know, how, how old is this regeneration? Could it? Do you suffer from hearing loss from time to time or struggle <laughs> he goes, to hear things? And like, oh, I've got a bit of a sore hip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then he said, well, I suppose he could have said something else. And, and mm-hmm. you know, like you say, being led down that path. So, yeah, it was quite, 
it, it was a moment of sort of levity, wasn't it? And, and, and humour from otherwise quite sort of serious, intense situations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love all this stuff in the, uh, you know, in, in this sort of mindscape and, and you know, the Castellan and Engin so basically saying that he's got massive blood sugar demands and, and stuff like that. I'm thinking, well, just get his jelly babies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pop, pop, oh, yeah, he's gone, move his mouth around. <laughs> yeah, chuck him a Mars bar or something, man. That- <laughs> <laughs> an IV of angel delight. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, this uh, this fight, then I guess the doctor agrees to fight the master in this uh, this reality, and we end up with the rest of the episode is basically that that kind of playing out. We have lots of back and forths between the doctor and a strange. I, I've got here Jumanji looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Balaclava Jumanji. Yeah, uh, he starts. He starts shooting at the doctor. Uh, he then dis- he's he's basically hunting the doctor at this point, the, yeah. the the Jumanji guy, and he decides that the doctor will need water. Yeah, um, and goes off to basically the doctor sets a trap for him whilst he's doing this, and the Jumanji guy goes and pours a bit of food coloring into a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really going to fuck him up with E numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the sugar! I'm driving mad. He'll <laughs> be so, he'll be so hyperactive, and then he'll just crash, and he'll be laid there, he'll be having a nap, and then I'll get him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, it, it's another cat and mouse. It's quite literal yes. cat and mouse aspect. You know, the, the doctor sets up the uh, the trap for the hunter. He nicks, goes to his camp, and, and nicks. You know, nicks a few bits, um, a grenade, and, and makes a trip wire and, and stuff like that. But it's brilliant. It, you know, it, it, it's really smart. The, the setting traps for each other, who's going to fall for it, who's going to get get got first, as it were. Um, when the hunter sets off the trap, mm. uh, which, which I really like. It doesn't obviously doesn't kill him, um, but it injures him significantly. And all the while, you've got the master calling calling the hunter a fool and so, you know the physical deterioration is increasing blah de, blah de, blah so then it's also a race against time of who mm-hmm. can last the longest in this mindscape yeah um <laughs> the doctor finds the poison pond um tem- you know and he's tempted to drink it but finds an empty bottle and and takes some of it with him oh that's what he was up to yeah, yeah, <laughs> the literal, yeah, the literal thing. That's um, exactly what he says. Yeah, it's like okay, you're not worried about yeah. the fact that there's poison around. You know, you could have some on you right now without even realizing. Yeah, but but then we get we see like we see, we see the bear grills aspect of both of them, where the hunter's patching up a wound in his abdomen and sets off again. The doctor's hollowed out a stick and, and is like sucking fresh water from underground. Mm. But then he's effectively made a. Um, he gets some thorns and he's made a blowpipe. Yes, I loved this. I thought this was so clever. Yeah, we've got like action doctor. Yeah, totally. Survivalist action doctor, and he's got these thorns that he's dipping in the poison water, and he he fires the dart into the hunter's leg, and then we've got the do- We've got the hunter like having to um, sort of cut off. The- he cuts himself to try and bleed the poison out effectively, mm. um, which apparently works somehow because if it was that poisonous surely he'd be but anyway you know started reading too much into that with regards to the jumanji guy here we start seeing scenes now where his mask isn't as you know uh successful 
basically the mask when we get more close-ups of him is fucking see-through and we can see who this is and it's i think very, we get, yeah yeah we're getting that reveal earlier than they intend us to get that reveal but whilst this is happening we also see that the master has a guard hypnotized yeah in in his lair and whoever is representing the master in this battle here the jumanji guy is led on the uh, a bench with what looks like a big almost like 1950s hair dryer over his head <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's effectively it's a patch into the uh, into the matrix isn't it mm. effectively yeah um, and i think the guard is poss is it hillred that we saw before i'm not or sure it, or is it just another guard I'm not sure. He did look familiar, but I'm not sure of names and so on. But this guy's under the master's control, isn't he? So, and he yeah. sends he sends the guards to go and uh, deal with the opposition, shall we say? Yeah, he's basically been told to go and, and fuck up the equipment and kill the doctor and trap him inside the matrix. Mm-hmm. And and what I like about this is the the hypnotized guard comes in to the Castellan and Engin with a message from the Chancellor for the doctor to be brought to him, and. Engin tells him to wait. We find out that the Doctor's only actually been in the machine four minutes in real yeah. time, but it's been nearly a whole episode for us. I love that that time disparity. It's like again, it's yes. like Inception. Inception, you know, the, the time in the dream moves moves slower, effectively, um, or faster. I don't know which way around it is faster, I presume. But anyway, um, and then we're getting more on the Doctor's physical state, saying he's got low blood pressure. Shallow respiration. There's more CO two in his. There's more CO two in his blood rather than oxygen. Um, and then uh, Hypno Guard, who I've called in my notes, uh, he spies <laughs> a big. He spies a big purple button, mm. which is ominous. Yeah. He starts dicking about a bit, doesn't he? And he's get he's getting told off. Uh, the the get, get away well, from that. The may as well have been like he may as well have been like reaching for the button and then just like slapping his hand away. Yeah. But like just quicker and quicker and quicker, just so it becomes that like comedy thing of just get off. Get off. <laughs> um, but we get a physical representation of the doctor as well, um, sitting you know, faltering in the swamp and saying that he has to go on, and and the hunter realizing the doctor's weakening and trying to egg him on and say he can't go on. Um, had a bit of a laugh. Uh, to myself because I'm a child and uh, like an innuendo when the cast on asks en- engine why can't the doctor simply pull out um, <laughs> not always that easy it's not always that easy <laughs> I, I got four kids mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guard uh, whilst trying to press this big purple button Basically, gets get, he annoys he annoys the guys there, and they just they just shoot the guy. So you know, that, I, I like to, I like to think the fig, <laughs> I like to, I like to think they figured out what he was doing first. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure they did. Um, yeah. There's just a bit of a struggle, and the guard does um, does get shot. Uh, the doctor's still moving through the swamp, but he's he's got a stick to help him, and it, you know, there's a fog settling, in and he realizes that he's in a marsh, and there's. Um, like these marshes often um, release a, a a lot of gas, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, things ferment and, and rotten and, and things like that. It does come with a, with a good deal of gas, um, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> um, and we get basically a a face off, and, and we get the big reveal, don't we? Because do. the, doc- the doctor's trying to bargain with the hunter and wants to see his face, and he. He finally lifts, you know, saying he only, you know, lives his life for his master and lifts his mask off. And it's Chancellor Goth. Now, dun, you say, dun, you, dun. 
Don't you say that, but I was deliberately not trying to figure out who it was under there. Mm-hmm. I had a, I had a feeling it was going to be Goth because he he came across as a bit sort of power hungry and and all the rest of it. But I think it was still a pretty good reveal. Oh and no, yeah, to remember- totally. I'm, I'm not I'm not mocking it from a standpoint of thinking. Or, or any of the stuff I've made jokes about in this episode. I'm not mocking it from a standpoint oh. of thinking it's rubbish. I think this is really good, including this reveal. I think the whole thing, the, the only issue I had with the reveal is that the mask he had on two minutes earlier was so shit, you can kind of see his face anyway. Yeah. But I was, I was going to say that this, this comes back to a point that we've made multiple times over our recordings of would it have looked better on worse tellies? Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Absolutely. So there you go. You know, we're we're watching it on, you know, I'm watching it on a on a, one of those bloody curved, t- you know, ultra HD curved TVs. Uh-huh. Of course, I'm going to see detail that I would that you wouldn't see on, you know, yeah. a, a te- you know, ten twelve inch screen from from nearly fifty years ago. Well, that's a really really good point. I didn't think of that. I think I think that is very very accurate, Dan. I think that would make a massive difference. Yeah, and that, that's part of the reason why I was deliberately trying not to see who it was, mm. um, because I was just thinking it, it, it's kind of unfair to the original, the original sort of state of the show and the technology available. It's it, mm. it's not their fault that it's like when you go to put it in wrestling terms. It's like when you go back and watch the um, the infamous blindfold match with, between Jake Roberts and, and Rick Martel. Yes, and you can see that watching it back now on the WWE Network, you can see the bits in the in the in the hoods yeah. where where they can see through, blatantly see through. Yeah. But originally you couldn't. And, when I was a kid and I had that on VHS tape, you couldn't make that out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I put it in that bracket. Um, I like it. Um, but we get another example of, of the doctor's intelligence. Goth takes a shot at the doctor, but it ignites the gas and leads to a massive yeah. explosion. What yes. do you reckon to that? There's two things here for me that, uh, that uh, I think it's important we, we mention. This is the cliffhanger for this episode now. This is the end of the third episode in. Yeah. And we get two moments that really stand out. We get Goff. Initially, I thought he was getting burnt alive, but this doesn't actually kill him, but he's on fire. Okay. And then there's a bit more of a fight and he is holding the doc, quite physically holding the doctor as he's struggling his head underwater and drowning him on, on screen. Yeah. Both of those moments there, I think are incredibly dramatic, very, very well done and make for a fantastic cliffhanger yet again, but also man on fire. And then saying man is physically, you know, murdering a guy on television, holding him underwater. This is where Mary Whitehouse had another field day. This particular scene is one that she complained about a great deal. And this is the one I meant earlier on when I was like, I can kind of get where she was coming from to a point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I've been exploded. I've put, I've put, I've put the fire out. Um, his clothes are suspiciously unsinged. Um, but then he's yeah, the attempted drowning. It's it's. I suppose it can be viewed as a bit much by the uh, by the more pearl clutchy of people. <laughs> yeah, and again, I, I you know I go back to when I was watching Classic Who and I was eight, seven, eight years of age. There were episodes that scared the crap out of me, and I had nightmares. And my parents were strongly considering stopping me watching it anymore. Yeah, I mean, thankfully the BBC took that decision out of their hands for them, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> but there were times when they were like, "Look, he had nightmares about it last week." But I watched it 
thinking this is my science fiction time traveling show. Mm. And then there would be aspects to that time traveling show that I wasn't expecting, like the creepy vampires we've already discussed on, on the Curse of Fenric for this, this season of the Doctor Who pod. My parents would allow me to watch my little science fiction time travel program, not expecting me to see pretty scary girls mm. be, you know, ha- that have been turned into vampires uh, and so on. For a seven-year-old, it was, it was quite scary. So I can understand how, from that aspect... People could, under, people could see it as being maybe a bit off. I mean, you say to somebody, Doctor Who, people will think of the Daleks. People will think of the Cybermen, and that's kind of what you expect. People are not thinking a guy being held underwater, being drowned. So I can kind of understand that aspect of it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. I get that. Fair enough. Um, I just... I don't know. I don't agree with I was just, I was, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's my problem. I just... I just, I just don't like Mary Whitehouse. I think it was, uh, there was a lot of. She was a stop clock that was right maybe once a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just say and, that. And and obviously, may she rest in peace. Uh, we will. <laughs> I'm not particularly bothered. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just feeling twatty today. I'm coming to the end of my week off, so I've got the uh, I've got the Monday blues looming. <laughs> uh, not good. Mate, not good. Ah, Episode four, then, the final episode in the serial, begins with the Doctor basically hitting Jumanji guy, Chancellor, with a big stick. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got that the Doctor somehow gets up and twats goth with a stick. And mm-hmm. reali- the reality fades. And the Master calls goth a wistful, craven-hearted, spineless poltroon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I didn't look up look up what a poltroon is either. So I'm just going to do that now. Uh, two ticks. Oh, poltroon is an, an archaic word for coward. Ah, okay. Like I'm going to start using that poltroon. Yeah, poltroon. I think that's what we, we should have a t-shirt with poltroon. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I think I think uh, spineless poltroon are playing at, uh, at Gallifest. Ah, there we go. Spineless <laughs> poltroon playing. Yeah, brilliant stuff. <laughs> uh, the doctor comes round and the master is on his end of the, I suppose, connection, destroying equipment, isn't he? Yes, it, it's kind of having a feedback and destroying the uh, the equipment on the doctor's end as well. Um, mm. So the master is effectively now just absolutely frying goth. He's he's done with him, um, and that's it. Uh, because he's trying to uh, Engin's Engin figures out what's going on and says that if there's a fire, the whole panotropic net will burn and thousands of brain patterns will be lost forever. But the problem is that cutting the power would uh, cut, would kill the doctor. So he's caught between losing one living Time Lord and the consciousnesses of thousands of, of former Time Lords. Yeah. Which is, that's a lot for a side character. Yes, yes. That is a hell of a lot for a side character. It's a very big um, decision, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, but the Doctor mysteriously is walking ar- around um, and there's sort of bombs going off. And he's some, they suddenly disappear and he wakes up. So there we yeah. go. It's avoided. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's avoided. And we, we go back and uh, so that stops the Master and, and Goth's still alive just, calls him a fiend, and the Master says he has a backup and takes out a syringe. Mm. But we don't see that, what yeah. happened. Yeah, this is very clever because this, again, is a, a misdirect, I think. 
Yeah, because you think that I thought the syringe was for goth. Yes, exactly. I mean, hundred percent. I thought, oh, so you're just going to like just stick him with the syringe and boom, he's dead. So he can't yeah. say anything. Um, doesn't quite come out that way, but it wouldn't be the doctor unless he was waking up out of this massive fight that nearly killed him with a one-liner. Right, yeah. Did, did, did you clock it? I, 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 I remember laughing, yeah. but what was the exact wording? It wakes up things, you know, there's nearly been a fire in all this equipment. He says, do you mind? This is a non-smoking compartment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, very, again, similar to, to Pertwee that we've already looked at. Very James Bond, Roger Moore, 1970s-esque, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, I, I absolutely love it. But this is the point now where for, the, for all the, ca- the characters catch up with the audience mm-hmm. and everything, but the audience is then also caught up with, with the overall sort of plans of things and how entrenched people were because the Doctor quickly surmises that Goth is the Master's legman and assassin, explains why he wanted the quick execution, why he ordered the TARDIS transducted into the capital, knowing the Doctor was inside, and that Goth must have his own link to the Matrix. The need to trace it. The service ducts underneath the circuits with vaults dating back to the old times were going down there. And it's done just, boom, like that. Yep. And yeah, then they're in... Yeah, literally sorry, next, the next thing you see is literally uh, the Doctor, the Castellan, and Engen finding what I'm referring to all episode as the Master's Lair, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and they find the Krusty Master in his lair, they find the connection. Goth's there um, on his deathbed, essentially. And he did it because he wanted power and to be president. Because mm. he wasn't chosen, apparently. Yeah, he wasn't the chosen one that mm-hmm. everybody thought he was. Yeah. So Goth, Goth killed for the Master and, his, and the Master's plan. And the doctor's asking him what his plan is, but instead of the plan, he says, "You know how we met him. He met him on Tersus. He was dying. There was, he's got no more regenerations. He promised Goth a share of his knowledge for bringing him to Gallifrey, um, but Goth couldn't fight his mental dominance. He did everything he asks, and he's sorry. And he, he dies without telling the doctor the plan. Mm. And another brilliant one-liner from the doctor." No answer to a straight question. Typical politician. Yeah, <laughs> just out, just outwardly mocking a man that's ju- that he's just fought to the death. Yes, indeed. Um, we then get a scene where this is all being explained to the cardinal, and there's a line here I thought was very, very clever. They weren't happy with what the truth is, and the mm. cardinal says, "Nope, the truth must be adjusted." And I was like, "Whoa, that's cold." Fucking Barusa, man! This is and I, at this point when when Barusa goes down this line of thinking, I've just got in my line. Fucking hell, Barusa is a political animal, yeah. And this really hammered it home for me. Into no wonder he goes after immortality in the Five Doctors. Um, I'll, I'll if you want to, I'll let you run through it now, um, or, or if you want me to sort of go through how he, how he twists it. No, please. The, the way the way you explain things, I absolutely love. So, so first off, where the fuck did Barusa come from? Mm-hmm. How did he know they were down there? That was just one little hole in in the whole thing that I. That sure, I, saw. I didn't even think of that. The, did they tell him on the way? Did they like bump into him in the corridor? Oh, Barusa, follow us, follow us. Come on, come on, check this yeah. shit out. Um, I didn't even twig. Yeah, just bizarre. He's just there, but yeah. I think it sort of speaks to how good this bit is that you don't question why he's there. Um, yeah. Okay. So. He calls it unacceptable, and they say they must adjust the truth to maintain confidence in leadership. It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, but you can. But we well, 
not to get political because it's just a pain in the ass. But I can fully see this happening in various government, various recent governments around the world. Let's keep it vague. Mr. Prime oh, yeah. Minister. Oh, 100%. To rob a line from Anand Deck. Um, I don't know if you've seen that on I'm a Celebrity, where they've done oh, it a couple I, of times, yeah. taking take a shot at Boris Johnson and then yeah, they've done it again, right, apparently. And again, we want to get political, but rightfully fucking so. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, back to Doctor Who. Yes. Um, they're adjusting the truth to make confidence in leadership. Uh, so then uh, people present Castellan Doctor... Barusa, Hilred, and two guards who took the body to the Panopticon vault are the only ones to see the master's body. Uh-huh. They can rely on the guards and Hilred's silence. They're going to change the appearance of the corpse to char it beyond recognition. The story will be that the master arrived on Gallifrey to assassinate the president secretly. Before he could escape, Goth tracked him down, killed him, and unfortunately died himself. So the making the positioning Goth as the hero. Yes, yes, totally. And there's kind of you kind of well, he was a he was a dick, you know. He was well, why wouldn't why would you do that? And he explains it in a way in that if heroes don't exist, we must invent them. It's good for public morale. So Goth is it's a bit like in the the Dark Knight, uh, in, not the Dark Knight. In what was it? Yeah, in the Dark Knight, where Harvey Dent goes bad, he becomes Two Face, but they decide to make Batman the villain of the story because it's better for the public to believe in the elected officials and believe in Harvey Dent than it is to believe in a vigilante. I've never seen it. I'm not fucking surprised. <laughs> I've seen Harvey um, Dent. The wife's had it on. So I've probably seen bits of it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, that's the parallel I can draw there. And again, it's, it's, it's political t- uh, truth twisting, Mm. It's, it gives so much insight into Barusa, but also into the Doctor, because the Doctor's willing to go on this. The Doctor's part in it will be forgotten, mm. but the charges will be dropped as long as he leaves Gallifrey. And he can just um, get away, can't he? But that's what the Doctor wants. Yes. So he says, somehow I don't fancy staying around, you know. Uh, it's, But then it goes even deeper, you know, because Barusa asked the Doctor about the Master's past, and he said, you know, we've bumped into each other from time to time. So not only are they going to spin this story to the public, Barusa is so quick and so clever with this. He wants a completely fake biography written about the master that, quote-unquote, doesn't have to be entirely accurate. And the the doctor says, like Time Lord history, Uh. basically saying that they've, they've tailored their history to make, to position themselves as you know, as benevolent and all that, which history is written by the victor. It always happens. We've we've seen this in in recent years come to the fore in um, a particular. I think was it in was it in Bristol where that statue of the uh, of the slave trader was taken down. Oh yeah, uh, Colston and that. Yeah, yeah, it was was ripped down by protesters. Um, and I could go into I could go into various things about. Um, about figures from the past, you know, being on one hand, yes, the war heroes. On the other hand, they also committed complete atrocities. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's that sort of choosing what you want to portray for quote unquote the greater good. Yeah, that is very close to the bone because it's happened throughout human history. And Barusa says, um, 
yeah, this is, uh, a few facts will will lend it verisim. Now, this is my I, I struggle to say this. A few facts will lend it very similitude. You can't make the master public enemy without record. Now, very similitude is a way, a very posh way of saying truth and credibility. Mm. But they had to throw in the big word there for the pompous Asperusa. Yeah, well, again, again, it's it's good character work for me because he is exactly yeah. as you just explained. He is a pompous ass. He is a conceited piece of crap. It, it, you know, so having these extra terms in well, the way he explains things, it's constantly pushing that narrative to you. This guy is a dick. It's incredibly well written and well performed, mm. and I, I, I love this whole this. Well, what you think is a wrap up, almost. Yeah, it, it feels like a wrap up in the, in the end of the episode. Yeah, and I'm thinking this is going to be a long, drawn-out finish now because there's still, you know, a good few minutes left of the episode itself. Yeah, and even down to the point of the Doctor summing up and saying, "Only in mathematics will we find truth," mm-hmm. which was apparently one of Bruce's old sayings in the Academy, and now he's proving it. I love that line. That was a great yeah. thing, but this could have been a natural end to an episode, but they somehow managed to tack. Tacking on at the end sounds like it's going to be bad, but it's not. They, they, they managed to extend the story, and they come to a really thrilling, te- tense, fast-paced conclusion. Um, yeah. From here, and I'll, I'm about to cough, so I'm going to let you pick it up. Yeah, of course. There's <laughs> there's a lot that goes on in uh, the last couple of minutes here. There seems to be a lot of action and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of movement, moving parts in this this short period of time of, the, of what remains on the episode. Uh, the guards who are they've basically been sent down to singe the body, haven't they? They're, they're the ones going down to do the, the necessary dirty work, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but also, some guards have already found the syringe in the layer. And the doctor inspects this and realizes that we've been tricked. Effectively, this is not uh, the master is not dead. This is kind of, it, I suppose, kind of knocks him out, gives the the impression that he's dead. And the syringe that we assumed was for Goff, both of us came to that same conclusion. It wasn't the master used upon himself. Yeah, and it gives the impression that he's passed away. So they take the body down to where it is, the morgue, and so on. The guard goes down to burn the body as part of Barusa's plan. Hmm. And the master, the you know, gross, crusty, yogurt pot-eyed master, sits up a little <laughs> bit like the Undertaker, and it, we hear a bit of screaming, a bit of shouting. The doctor's twigged that not all is what it seems. They run to the morgue, and the guard is just a tiny little dude. He's been miniaturized yeah. by the master, yeah. Uh, which again, I love that. I love because that's almost like his calling card at this point, isn't it? It really is. But but this is also this is almost running parallel to the Doctor and Engin and just sort of sat there chilling out and the Doctor's mm-hmm. giving Engin information on the Master, you know, calling him evil, cunning, resourceful, how to develop yes. powers of ESP, formidable hypnotist. And the Doctor in his own head, he's, he's unsettled. He said he, he can't think that the Master would meekly accept death. Mm. You know, and he's he's pondering the plan of Goth becoming president. You know, what's so special? And uh, the presidency is, is so effectively holding symbols of office, you know, the sash and the key of Rassilon. And that leads them down a conversation about Rassilon. Um, The doctor says he can feel his hair curling, which either means it's rain or he's onto something. (laughs) That was fantastic. (laughs) 
And we still we see the Castellan still being a dick to Hilred because Hilred's the guard who gets sent to mutilate the corpse and ends mm-hmm. up dead. Um, we get a brief history on Rassilon, which I thought again was great world building. Mm-hmm. Seeing you know he's considered the founder of modern time world civilization. He was an engineer and architect. Um, journey into the void with a great fleet within the void no light would shine and it was that was a black hole but that came into play in an episode we've already covered and I can't remember which one it was called it was I think it was Peter Davison Five Doctors was a lot of Rassilon and uh... I know it was it was the one where, where they went to the other side of the black hole and they had the guy okay. who took the helmet off Omega do you remember yes. that one uh, that was and the Three Doctors yeah is that the Three Doctors? The Three Doctors had Omega in it, but Omega did oh, turn yeah. up again later on as well. So, Yeah, so Omega, that, that, so that ties in with the Three Doctors and Omega, you know, saying not going to the other side of the black hole because Rassilon left Omega behind, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. Um, and, and it, again, leads into the uh, the keys and the sash, and, and um, basically we find out that this is what the Master's after. Yes. Um, the Doctor checks the syringe uh, sorry the results come back from the syringe and it's I'm going to try and say the word trichophenylaldehyde got it oh and it's a, that was fantastic do it again <laughs> trichophenylaldehyde <laughs> and it's a it's a neural inhibitor so it's simulating death and this is what yes. and again so many cool twists and turns and the master's there and at this point he's you know he's killed um killed Hilred the Doctor, etc., are in the uh, running to the Panopticon to find Hilred, and the Doctor's the Master's confu- consumed with hatred. It's his one great weakness. And we hear the Master saying that that's actually uh, his great strength, and basically saying that they have an exchange where they wants the sash. Mm-hmm. And all this, and it's he wants the Doctor's escape go to die in ignominy, ignominy and shame. And he shoots at the doctor, Engin gives him the just gives him the sash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's something odd uh, about this as well, though, because you have the doctor is shot. The yeah. Castellan is shot with the stasers, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the the master then when he's when he gets given the the sash and, and you know the, the things that all this has been building towards that his purpose of, of, of the whole of the whole plan. Yeah. The master explains, "Oh, they're not dead; they're just stunned." And I thought, "Well, that's really strange because the master is this evil being, and he's got this opportunity <laughs> to kill them off. Why didn't he just kill them?" Because he doesn't want. Because killing them is too quick. He wants the doctor to see failure and to be okay. complete, and be completely humbled and shamed, and to have to, to have, effectively to taste defeat and then die. And then and then just die with that feeling. Mm. He wants to torture him first, effectively. And right. that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. But this is the point where we find out what's significant about the sash as well. Uh, sorry, hiccup. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Effectively, what's happening is this sash and the key um, are balancing the power of a black hole. That's because what's happened is Rassilon's balanced the power of a black hole and set them in an eternally dynamic equation against the mass of the planet, which you know, child's play. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, the master's going to use that energy to regenerate himself, but it'll destroy Gallifrey and a hundred other worlds. Mm. Which again shows the, <laughs> yeah, the scale of 
and, and the sinister side of I mean a lot of classic who a lot of classic who for me you get big stories but there's mm. a huge amount of classic who that affects small areas and we've looked at a lot of stories where i mean you look at say the peter davidson story that the two-parter uh the awakening it's yeah. affecting that village and the the surrounding areas you look at other stories we've looked at and it's kind of the doctor is there to make a difference and save a group of people from a certain scenario mm. in in new who it's still the same we get these smaller stories as well but you also get the big, you know, grand millions of people will die. And so on. that tends to be a bit more, a bit more regular in new who in classic who that the idea that the master is willing to sacrifice Gallifrey and all these other planets, meaning billions potentially of lives mm. just so he can regenerate is on. I think it, I think in comparison to so much more in classic who that's on a huge grand scale. Yeah, it's incredibly ambitious. Mm. And what stands out to me is that they have that ambition and, and, and that sort of grand plan and grand scale destruction. And yet they manage to convey it across so well, like you say, in this relatively small panopticon room that it's, it's a small area, mm. but everything going on feels big. Yes, it feels like an event, you know. The the, the master gets the key as as he always will, and go, they're in the Panopticon, and this hidden door opens, and a machine rises, and it's the machine that's is effectively the Eye of Harmony, mm-hmm. yep. which in future, uh, in the movie even, the Eye of Harmony is what the master try it opens up, that nearly ends the ends the world. Yeah. So it's a, gr- a great callback there. Yeah. To, to very this, good. Very to, well. To done. what I assume is this. Um, and yeah, it's just the master's pulling levers and, and everything's shaking and we get a bit of the comedy, you know, the whoa actors yeah. and people swaying around and pretending boulders rolling around. Yeah, which you know, we gotta love. You gotta yeah, love I, I, classic too. Yeah. Um and the doctor's trying to point out the master's fault flaws in the plan, saying the sash didn't protect the president from being shot, and and pointing out, you know, how how do you know it's gonna save you from from this? And, and channel the energy and all of that. And they have a little scrap. Um, I'm not sure how it'd feel punching that, you know, that, that face. It'd be squelchy. You'd want to, you'd want to wash your hands after I assume. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's not great, but the building collapsing intensifies and um, the master's effectively saying it's going to gain supreme control of the universe and all the rest of it. And then, the master effectively falls into a crack in the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Just and the doctor gets, just kind of puts things back to normal. You yeah, know, just which, reverses the switches. Um, which makes sense. If a, if switch yeah. one way means, you know, doom and horror, switch other way, turns it off. So it makes sense. It just, I don't know. I, I'm, I've not got a problem with it. But it did seem like, because as you explained, everything felt so big and so grandiose and, and, and all this stuff was going on. And he managed to stop it just by flicking a few levers back off. And again, it makes perfect sense. It's a logical conclusion because of the scenario. I don't know what I expected. I, it feels a bit easy. Yeah, yeah, okay. It, if there, if, but imagine this was, say, Modern Who, and it was David Tennant doing exactly the same thing. 
he'd flick all the switches and, and there'd be that moment where he grits his teeth, scratches the back of his head and say, this is supposed to work. Mm. And then he'd pull out some sort of sonic screwdriver bullshit. Yes. Or, or do, so, you know, fly, like fly the TARDIS in quickly, hook something up and, I don't know, create a temporal feedback loop or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. I've literally just pulled that out of my ass. If that's ever happened, I'll be well impressed. Um, you know, th- there would have been a moment of, we've had the sort of all is lost moment. We know mm-hmm. now that there should be a way to fix it, but can I think of it in time? So it's an- another added bit of tension. Maybe it's because maybe I was expecting that, but yeah, they- it did all feel a little bit rushed. Um, yeah. But, but again, a real, that's, that's a real small thing, mind. I, I think it the whole is, yeah. I've picked a hole in that, and I almost feel quite bad for picking that hole because it, it, it's 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 fine. It, it's it's still yeah. good, and maybe I'm being a bit negative that where it's where it's unnecessary. But yeah, it's it's like having a a, a sort of lackluster finish to a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. It's like saying you, you've sat through a for, you know forty five minute barnstormer, and it it ends with a it ends with a roll up off some interference or something like that, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it, it's not a bad fit. It's not necessarily a bad finish, but has it lived up to the rest of the rest of what's happened? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, th- I think that's maybe, but like I say, it's a nitpick. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And we go from that as, as we sort of wrap up this, um, this serial, we get, we get the doctor getting another one liner on Barusa. Uh, which I absolutely love because Bruce is there lamenting the loss of life, life and the damage, uh, saying that he's in in um, in debt to the doctor. But how do they spin this to the public? And the doctor says, perhaps adjust the truth and attribute it to a plague of mice. <laughs> yeah. And but credit to Barusa in his very eloquent, pompous way. Um, he has a he has a sort of one line of the doctor. Says, As I said long ago, Doctor, you will never amount to anything in the galaxy if you cling on to your habit of vulgar facetiousness. And as the doctor goes to leave, Barusa calls him back and he gives him a nine out of ten. Mm. It's very, you know, very classic sort of student and, and you know student and teacher sort of yes. thing. He's, yeah, he's finally he's, he's finally given him that approval, I suppose. Um, yeah, we got a lot of goodbyes as well, don't we? Yeah. Uh, goodbye, 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 goodbye. Yeah, we've got to round out this last sort. Of, we, we need we need it over twenty four minutes if you can. So just. You know. <laughs> um, but what I do like is to speculate on on the master, yeah, and saying he may have survived the fall with the sash converting energy from the monolith, and uh, the the doctor basically leaves him with that and just fucks off. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm done now. You know, I'm I'm pegging it whilst I still can, sort of thing. Yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm I'm off. See you later. And we get the 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 fourth and final cliffhanger, I suppose. Yes. Um, the, the Castellan sees the master's hand going into a clock that's actually a TARDIS in the museum yeah. as well and, and heading off out into the universe. And the Castellan feels that the universe won't be big enough for the two of them. So good. So good seeing the master. Cause again, it's that thing of you don't know when he's going to turn back up, but you know, it's going to happen at some point. I think that was yeah. really, really, really and, well and, and the hand isn't as, as sort of rotten and, and gross as it was before, mm. which I thought was a great touch. And yeah, it's just, it leaves the door open. You don't have to bring him back right away you can do it down the line because the master's going to need time to convalesce but the longer you leave it the more unexpected it's going to be the bigger impact it's going to have when you finally bring the master back it is a really 
uh, it's a, yet another in this serial fantastic bit of writing yeah so good so cleverly done and the fact that the doctor has already left so he isn't aware is another yeah. little added layer to that i think he's unaware but he knows it's a possibility yeah so good so good. yeah i love right. it right to summarize then dan the deadly assassin tom baker what are your thoughts a lot of fun, a lot of fun in this. You know, some people may be lost or write it off because of the sort of the political machinations of of some of the characters. But to me, like you said, it doesn't linger on any one element too long. It's not like you sat, you know, you're not say, you're not sitting through a council meeting at any point yeah. with these things. I think it, I'm going to paraphrase essentially a couple few bits that you said. Everything's in perfect balance in this show, from the action to the political bits. To and, and just the, it's so well written and performed throughout, uh, and well paced and all the rest of it. The only thing is, um, it, it does feel a little bit rushed in the resolution. Mm. But as we've already established, that's a nitpick. I think the side characters uh, are, are up there; that they're very good. You know, the Castellan, the relationship of him and Hilred, then the relationship between uh, the Castellan and Engin. I quite like Engin. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, Goth is this sort of duplicitous conniving character i think it's brilliant barusa is again doctor who was always known how to write a bastard <laughs> yeah exactly even down to runcible you know the lovable sort of earth character um yeah there's not a lot i can say negative about this and by the time we get to our roundup i can see this being pretty high on the list that that last little statement by yourself there is exactly what is in my head as well when we get to our countdown episode i guess our ranking episode at the end of the series our series obviously we've still got a lot more stories to watch before we get to that point but at the moment i can see this being very high i really enjoyed it there was so much good so many great characters uh barring the initial five minutes or so where the doctor was talking to himself you didn't miss having the compa- not having the companion there but i'm glad they do come back pretty much straight away now where I think yeah. Leela arrives after this story. Yeah, again, I, I just echo so much of what you said, Dan. There's so much, you know, so much good in this tale. It's really well paced. That's a big thing for me with Classic Who. It's really well paced because I think to myself, when Charlie and I, my daughter, finish watching New Who, I'm going to try and get into, into Classic Who. Mm. Uh, but I think I'm fighting a losing battle. <laughs> well, yeah. But I always look at the pacing of the Classic Who that we watch. Because if there's moments where it drags and it's too slow, that's where I'm going to lose her. And that's kind of where my constant obsession, I suppose, with the pacing and and how the story is told comes from. And here, to me, it's done so well, potentially one of the best with regards to storyline pace that we've seen in Classic Who. There's no... I mean, that we've seen some six-parters where you could do away with a whole episode. Here, I think it Mm. works pretty much on the money. Yeah, yeah, I think you spot on. Yeah, it, it it it's a weird one in that it does everything to a very high, very high standard. I, I can't point and say that it's the best at anything apart from maybe the pacing, mm. but because it does everything else at such a high level without necessarily being the best at it, it comes out. If I was going to rank it like I do the five factors on UTT, you know, and and do a do an out of ten rating, it, you're looking at like an eight eight point five out of ten. Yeah factoring in everything that makes Doctor Who Doctor Who to me. Mm. And I, I can't really give it any higher praise than that. It's just 
all round very, very, very good in, in any aspect, in any metric you care to consider. Uh, one metric, I suppose, that I suppose we'd be, it'd be unjust of us not to draw attention to. Name me a female character. Fair point. There's not a single one, is there? I can't think of one. No. No, there isn't. Um, I will say sign of the times, perhaps. Yeah. I also think as well, when it comes to, you know, <laughs> diversity and equality, oh. obviously this is the mid, uh, the, the mid seventies. It was a very much a different time, but we don't have a female representation and it's very much a big, you know, a, a big collection of white dudes on Gallifrey at this point. So that's something that I'm glad Doctor Who and TV in general changed as, as it went forward in its years. So Dan, where to next week, my friend? What are we watching? What are we looking at? Um, we're watching the worst episode of, uh, um, yeah. poss possibly second worst of this season. Uh, we're going to Matt Smith and we're going to the vampires of bloody Venice. I'm sorry. You should be. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna we're gonna have a bad time watching it but we're gonna have a great time ripping it apart okay that's all we i can say for it. It, we may watch it back I, 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 I won't okay because i've watched it several times okay to see if it ages well and it doesn't um and it, actually do you know what? That, that's a challenge and anybody out there if you genuinely genuinely with Marty and Fitch, genuinely. Um, if you watch The Vampires of Venice and you enjoy it, please tell me how mm -hmm. and why. Let us know. You know, tweet yeah. us, whatever. Drop us a DM, anything, because it's wank. So there's that for us all to look forward to. Dan, where can they tweet you and DM you and so on with regards to Vampires and Venice and follow you to listen to your dulcet tones on all the great content <laughs> you're involved in? You can hear, you can find me on da uh, Twitter at DanGriffin21. You can hear my ramblings and rantings and all the other all the other stuff I do on Unbooking the Territory uh, with UTT Rob, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. You can find that on Twitter at UTT Podcast. And we've got a side project on booking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott, the hardest man that ever lived. Uh, you can find us there at UTT Tank. Great stuff, mate. Great stuff. Uh, you can follow, well, not me, but the network that carries this show at SJP World Media, where you can find links to all the stuff that is on the network. Wrestling, uh, historical stuff, modern day stuff, Quantum Leap. There's a show looking at Quantum Leap called The Waiting Room. Uh, there's a show looking at the Murder in Mind BBC drama from the early 2000s. Uh, there's all sorts going on on the network at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And make sure you're trucking us a follow and giving us a big fat five star review on all your podcast players as well it means a great deal to us but you can follow this show most importantly on facebook and twitter at the doctor who pod that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod matt smith next week dan i mean i'm looking forward to talking to you because i always look forward to talking to you about doctor who side but it... oh mate thanks. <laughs> but why 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 the fuck did you pick this I'll see you next week, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll have a laugh. We will, but yeah. My God. Everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. The vampires are fucking Venice. You nearly made me quit the show. 
You went quite roboty then. I take it every, every, is everything showing all right with your internet at your end? Um, it says so there. Let me just click on it. Cool. And have it, it might have just been a momentary blip on, on either your end or my end. So. It says it's full at the moment, but cool. it is quite rainy and shit down here. So I don't know if that's going to start affecting it. Yeah, it's been rainy and shit up here as well, but we'll, we'll mm. plow on, won't we? We'll see how we get. We'll see how we get on. <laughs> Okie dokie. You sound so optimistic. You sound like you've enjoyed. You, you sound like you've enjoyed a hard ninety minutes watching Man United get bailed out by a nineteen-year-old against a team that just got Hey, hey, hey! He's eighteen. Um, 